So Jerry Seinfeld has a bit about leather that I bet I saw up like, I don't know, when I was 10 when Seinfeld was in reruns. Here's what he says. Now why does moisture ruin leather? I don't get this. Aren't cows outside most of the time? When it's raining, do cows go up to the farmhouse? Let us in, we're all wearing leather! Confession, I don't know the answer to his question. Primitive humans knew enough about leather to make shoes out of it 5,000 years ago, but I don't really understand why you can't get it wet. I don't know how to take care of it. I don't know where the colors come from. Nothing. Well, on today's show, we've got a couple of guests who do. Jeremy Bennett designs leather goods for Filson, the iconic Pacific Northwest brand, and Matt Bressler from Wicket and Craig in Pennsylvania is the guy who supplies his leather. They fill me in on how you get from cow to beautiful patinaed duffel bag. Man, that's depressing. I'm Kevin Dupsick, and this is How Your World Works. I have two guests with me. Uh, the first is Jeremy Bennett from Filson. He's a manager of product development who focuses on leather goods. And my other guest is Matt Bressler from Wicked and Craig, which is one of the few tanneries in the country that still does vegetable tanning on a large scale. Is that, is that right, Matt? Absolutely. Actually, we're one of two vegetable tanneries left in this country. We're actually 150 years old in March. So you guys in particular work pretty closely together um, as you're coming up with new products and figuring out what sort of materials you need to work with, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, so what is a uh, what does a tannery look like? If I traveled there, what would I what would I see? Have you have you been there, Jeremy? Oh yes, absolutely. Pretty amazing experience. It's pretty unassuming when you look at it from a you know as you're driving up to it, but mm-hmm. um, the experience inside is something to uh, to behold. What does it smell like? Uh, you, there's not one smell. I think it's <laughs> it's compartmentalized. Yeah, it's compartmentalized. There's uh, there's some beautiful smells in there, and there's also some some uh, some pretty um, intense smells as well. There's definitely scent walls as you move throughout the process from the, you know, the receipt of the, the hair on hide, salted and brined leather, you know, the, the hides on the pallets and things like that. And then you move into more of kind of the, the, the oils and the fats and the, the, the bark, the tanning room, you know, those kind of things. It's, it's definitely a little more pleasant in some other areas. For a guy like Jeremy, it's sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he so loves, he I loves love leather. It. I so. love it for sure. Can you talk me through what the tanning process is? We actually pay a premium to get what they call a jumbo heavy native steer. Um, that's not even found on the market because we uh, we actually pay extra to get those big, heavy, spready hides. We get the breeds that we like. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the 150 years of, of business, we've realized that we like Charlet, Simitols, and limousines. Um, so wait, 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 sorry, you got to slow down. <laughs> what does that mean? Just the breeds of cows. Uh, <laughs> okay. They're lighter colors. Uh, they're creams and red colors. Um, seems like the husbandry at the, where those animals are raised and things like that. Um, they get less bug bites, less scars, less scratches. And of course, when you're making high-end leather items and you're buying superior leather, um, then that's that's something important to us. That's so scars and scratches that make it sense. I never thought about bug bites. So that's actually kind of like a blemish well, that you're trying to avoid. bug bites, actually, the more the animal gets bitten, the more he tends to scratch and things like that. So you said that you buy like a, a, a jumbo native steer? A like heavy that? jumbo native so steer. How, yes. how big are these hides? Uh, they're they averaging probably about 50 square feet at that time. They're going to weigh, you know, upper 80s as far as poundage wise goes. So I'm in the lower 90s when you first get them. I mean, they're very heavy. It's it's a it's a it's a oh my gosh. quite the raw material. You can see kind of where the legs were at one time, and, yeah. and you're 
your head and your tail and it's kind of an interesting yeah. scene. No, no oh, right. So when you get these things and it's 80 square feet, it's not like it's an eight foot by 10 uh, foot rectangle. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I didn't There's think some about funny that. stories about that. Uh, we've had some consumers ask me, hey, uh, <laughs> you told me this. this would be 25 square feet, but it's not square. <laughs> and I'd say, well, does it happen to look like a cow? Yeah. And so, so it's, but it's not Jeremy. So we're in good shape right. there. So It probably was Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the beginning, maybe. But guys like Jeremy and, and true craftsmen in, uh, in this country that are still left appreciate the scars and scratches because there's so many imita imitations out there and so many leathers that have been corrected where they sand the grain off mm -hmm. and then refinish it and make it look like full grain leather and um, of course that's exactly right up Filson's alley they want full grain leather that's so. exactly what I was going to say just being being at Filson is, is just so fortunate in that way that our consumer is already looking for stuff that's very rugged and, and can yeah. patina over time and has character so you have these giant hides that you get you chemically dissolve the hair which i can only imagine is one of the first smell walls as i think you put it earlier the brine room <laughs> well they'll spend 14 days in our tanning liquors uh we use mimoso and cobracho so these are two different trees where it's like an extract from the bark or do you like it put is the bark it, in a mix of it, no like, actually it shows up in a cocoa like form it, it's a, it's already a very um it's very concentrated it's already been ground in powdered form and then oh, we okay. actually mix it and like then pump it into our hmm. yeah it's something like that it looks like cocoa i yeah. mean it really does so. and are you mixing just that with water or are there other ingredients in these tanner that's the, the most of its water and then every tanner um veg tanner has their own mixture of of uh, that's ours mimoso and cobracho but you know um every tanner has their own mixture of, of different um tree bark that makes their leather what it is i love the drums the solid solid wood drums yeah. they've just built up so much patina over time and you know that kind <laughs> of old craftsman old artisan world of those those wooden drums are pretty beautiful yeah. Are they sort of just big tanks the way, like, in a brewery, you see the big vats that hold the well, beer? Well, again, wood? they're open-ended. Um, okay. The top, um, the hides are actually hooked on to a, uh, they're actually stretched on a wooden frame. We have an overhead crane that picks it up and moves all the hides and sets them down into the actual tanning liquors. Interesting. Okay, so 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 14 days in there, and then what's the next step? Um, after they come out of the tan yard, we run them through a ringing machine. and actually just rings out the excess water and tannin and lays the hide out flat or the side out flat so that we can get our first look at what's actually underneath the hair. At that time, we actually sort the leather and we designate what type of leather we're going to make into it because we're in quite a few different market segments mm -hmm. and we determine whether it's going to be black or brown or natural or russet or tan or chestnut and what type of leathers we're going to make, whether it's going to have a heavy uh, uh, oil content or whether it's going to be a drier leather or something like that. Um, and that's an important stage um, because if we don't select the right product to make it out of at that time uh, or the right customer um, that uh, there's no going back at that point so and so okay so first of all I have a bunch of questions now so you you listed a couple of different like colors for example sure is so all the hides are they all the same color at this they point they are all identical when they come out of the tan yard the exact same color hair color nothing else matters at that point when they come out they are a consistent tan color and that color is actually very important that it is consistent because we have a lot of steps to go yet and drum dyeing where we actually penetrate the dyes from both sides where we get a base color is all dependent on the color that we start with to begin. So. Uh, this is, now I feel stupid because I always thought that it was just like the color of the cow to determine the color of the leather. <laughs> Guess not. Not quite. Jeremy, for you, is this the point where you actually start like, okay, now I got to pay attention. Absolutely. So yeah, this is where we start sending color swatches to have color match done. If we've found a color in the environment that we like that would make a great, uh, you know, say small leather good out of 
the uh, English bridal there, we would send them a cutting. Um, they would try to match the, the finish and the color the best that they can. It's kind of like dyeing an Easter egg at Easter time. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So you, so you go through this whole process. What's the total time period then from it, it's six to eight weeks and there's always variables in there and so you okay so it's six takes six to eight weeks later you've started with these hides that have hair and everything on them they're really heavy but now you've they're sort of all they've all been split in half right yes so you split along where right, the down spine the, was. right down the back one yes sir. right down the back uh they've been treated they're colored to in this case jeremy to what you guys are looking for at filson so when these ar arrive at Filson up in Seattle, when you go out to meet your truck full of hides, like w what does this look like? It's just like a stack of parchments or something? Yeah, it's basically uh, on a, a pallet. And you, I mean, it's just probably about 50 to 100 sides of, mm -hmm. of what you would think half of a cow would look like. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I haven't thought about it's that half much, of the night. <laughs> um, it's half, of, you know, ha half of the irregular shaped you know, yeah. cow hide that I was talking of earlier. Mainly, you, you'll block and cut the hides, which means you will take out the largest rectangle or square that you possibly can from the prime cutting area of the side. Um, those are used for belts, straps, um, things that we really need. Very dense, very strong, mm -hmm. um, long pieces, I think is very important for belting. And then you've got a, a half of a cow with a rectangle missing from the middle. What do you do with all the rest of those pieces? So that's very interesting. That's where we use, you know, um, for, we use that for kind of the smaller components of our luggage. Uh, you look on our bags, you'll see, you know, D-ring retainers and body tabs and um, just kind of these smaller, quicker pieces where we have three clicking machines, which are basically um, air-compressed um, stamps. So it's just a solid surface of steel that's placed on a, a cutting board, mm -hmm. um, and they have these uh, specially made chisel dies, basically. It's just razor cut to shape. Okay. Um, and then they'll take the pieces of leather and place it under that stamp and click out each of these components out of the, what's left over from that block cut. Got it. So that's like a different cutting process too then? Absolutely. Well, and every side's different. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a great set of eyes and orderized to get the maximum usage and yield out of each piece of leather. Um, if leather business was easy, everybody would do it. And I use that quite <laughs> often, yeah. not only on the tannery end, but on the manufacturing end. Yeah, it takes a lot of training with the operators in the production floor to really, you know, consume the max amount of yield you can get out of a side for sure. Can you, so like, let's say that you have um, some leathers that are a, a, a heavier or a thicker, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, is there something you can do to reduce the thickness if you need oh, absolutely. to, or do you just have to order it up front at the thickness that you need? We do a combination of both, actually. I can order it at certain weights from Wicked and Craig where they do the splitting and finishing, or we can split it and finish it. Um, ourselves down on the production floor. We use a, um, it's called a splitter. <laughs> it's a tough one, but uh, yeah, it's just a, um, a planed, uh, it's basically like a planer if you've ever used a wood planer yeah. where it slices off surfaces of the, um, of the wood. It's the similar kind of thing, but what this does is it slices off the flesh portion, so it starts bottom to up to top because you want to keep that beautiful full grain yeah. um, when you use it in the end. Use, and is so. the part that's cut off, is it unusable or are you able to use that too? The, um, we actually don't use that, but we um, bundle it and can sell it off for, you know, a multiple different, I think they use it in bonded leathers. Oh, um, so you're involved in designing new leather products. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that's like? And uh, I mean, just in general, first of all, like sort of what the creative process is like, but then also like what's the point at which you start thinking about what type of others you want and when might you start then having a dialogue with Wicked and Craig about that, what your needs it are? It actually goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And I'll jump in here before Jeremy because a lot of times I'll see, some, I'll see something that I'll hmm. say, 
boy, I think Jeremy would like this. And I shoot, hey, Jeremy, I have some swatches coming to you. Check this stuff out. This is new or this is different. And um, so me knowing our customer base, you know, especially Philson and, of course, a lot of other customers we deal with, I feed them things. You know, it's like, here, check Absolutely. this out, check that out. And a good leather person will grab those and run. And I don't know how many different projects um, that we've already uh, established off of that type of thing and how many more projects we have on stuff that we're sending. But Jeremy also requests things, and I'll let him finish up on that. But Yeah, it definitely gets... Gets us a little bit ahead of the game when he can foresee what we, you know, what we want in in our leather, and he can. Fortunately, they have the time to kind of, you know, tinker around and try new things, and um, it's it's definitely a great collaborative effort. As far as you know, the design process and the product development process, um, you know, we're kind of talk design is talking with merchandising quite a bit. Um, just take for instance the new weatherproof luggage collection. Uh, it was decided that we were going to try to do, you know, a leather collection. Okay, well then what does that mean? What are we looking for in our weather? Um, what styles are we going to do? Are we going to create a whole new assortment of different designs that Filson has never done before? Or should we start out of the box with like the stuff we do best, you know, the four top styles? Um, and then you kind of get into, okay, so end use, what are we going to, what do we want out of our material? Um, and that's kind of how we stumbled across the weatherproof. Um, I really love the veg tan. I love the way it patinas. I love, you know, just the character and the strength and the durability and the longevity of the of that product. Um, and when I saw the the CRWP, it was just it was it was perfect. And it just, you know, it took a lot of time for me. At Filson, we're very fortunate to have the production so close. I'm on the fourth mm -hmm. floor of the building. We make the bags on the first first floor. Um, the small kind of bridal cuttings and that factory is two blocks away so I can go over down you know two two blocks down the street and overlook and, and see what's happening what kind of you know um, roadblocks that we have what kind of um, problems we're having in production and easily kind of solve those issues as we're going um, being that it was a completely new category of, of product for Filson to build there was a lot of learning to do uh, learning to be had there and I mean, I imagine that you're making prototypes and stuff all the time. Do you, will you like say like, okay, we're going to try and do this new duffel bag. Let's try it with this weight leather and mm -hmm. this weight leather and make a few different ones and see what works. And then maybe be like, oh, actually we, maybe we want something in between. And then, you know, call up Matt and be like, hey, actually we're looking for, like, yeah, how does that work? That, that, that happens quite a bit, actually. There's a lot of trial and error that goes in there. Um, if I have some sample sides on hand, I'll, I'll, you know, build first protos in those sample sides just to use that leather up mm -hmm. um, and then through that development and those those prototypes is where you find out oh this is way too thick you can't double fold this and try to bind it at the same time without going thinner and the one thing about jeremy he's pretty humble about it is he does a lot of his own prototypes so unlike a lot of designers who design something up and then tell someone to make it he grabs the stuff goes down to a sewing machine and starts putting stuff together himself and then relays to to me or any you know it, it, to us um, what he sees, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and then we 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 kind of um, skew the leather to what he's seeing, what he's feeling, and and, and we go from there. Um, and that's very important. Um, having a craftsman's background um, yeah. and a design background is very rare these days. So it's pretty helpful to know oh, that you're talking to him and he's actually had I, his hands on. Absolutely, work he's not going from what somebody tells him. He's going from what he saw and did and felt himself. So. Yeah. And is it, sorry, this is a weird question, but are there special sewing machines for leather? Can a normal sewing machine sew with leather? Uh, What's yeah. no, the actual equipment like? Uh, it's much more heavy duty. 
Um, you, you know, I think the best sewing machines for leather are a walking foot machine. Um, you can do a little bit of finer needle work with kind of a smaller sh- machine, less uh, n- like a flatbed non a non walking foot. I don't know if you're familiar with like a a, a non walking foot and a walking foot machine. No so idea. A walking f- foot machine is where your bottom feed dogs, which are the little claws on the bed. Uh, they basically feed your material through the the sewing machine. Well, a walking foot has a an upper foot that um, raises and lowers at the same time the feed dogs are moving forward and back. So it's it's sliding the material through this you know through the needle stitching at the same same rate. Okay. Um, how long does it take to sew up a prototype? Oh man, it depends on what you work on. If it's like a small leather good. Um, you know, 15, 20 minutes. If you're working on a bag, it could take an hour, hour and a half. And it all depends on how far you have the design set up before you start your prototyping. Sometimes I've, you know, just simple rough sketch and then try to work through it as I'm, as I'm making the proto. Um, I also do a lot of it where I think about a design or, or a product, you know, weeks in advance before I try a proto. That way I've, I've tried you know, pretty much determined all the, you know, obstacles that I might encounter during yeah. that, and then I'll go to execute. So let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, all weather leather weatherproof weatherproof yeah, leather. Yeah, okay, just, I, was I was just trying to get you to do the tongue twister that we decided. I think was probably not the direction twisters. to go. So what's the? So first of all, when are, this is a this is a new product line you're introducing, and you design you guys work together on producing this special new leather mm-hmm. for these products, right? What was the time, how long did it take to develop this new leather that you're using? It's probably about a year. I mean, it was roughly a year from the time we introduced it to Jeremy to the time they actually were in production. Um, so it takes time, especially to work out the pros and cons of a piece of leather. Um, of course, whether or not it's going to market well. And then actually we made that, uh, that weatherproof leather proprietary to Filson, which uh, I've been there 25 years. And this is the only piece of leather that we've ever made proprietary to anyone. And that uh, this is a lot about the relationship between Filson yeah. and, and Wicket and Craig. But um, the trials and tribulations are not only on the design end, but on the leather end. When we make leather samples, like any, you know, like anything, you can make one or two, but can you mass produce it? So I can say, well, Jeremy, I can, here's the sample, but when we make a hundred of them, so to say, uh, here's going to be the new stipulation that you may have to work around. And, um, you know, that's, that's very important. So, so did this, which, which end did this start on? Did it start with you, Jeremy, saying like, you know, I think it might be it might be interesting to try and do something weatherproof, or did it start with? Actually, I started that one. Yeah, I started with um, that. Know, we had made uh, some stuff, and I had mentioned Chin before, but Chin made a, a, a proprietary piece of leather that, um, you know, or something new. And, and weatherproof leather is not new. It's just new to vegetable tanning. Correct. I mean, there's a lot of weatherproof leather out there, or waterproof leathers that are done with chromium tans, um, which is actually chemically tanned. And that's where the majority of the footwear these day, day and age is coming from. But the fact that this is vegetable tanned gives it a whole new... Um, a whole new market. Um, it's, it's, it ages. It gets rich with a patina. And it takes a special customer um, like Filson to recognize it for what it is and market it for what it is. But um, I, we actually initialized and sent it to Jeremy, and, and he took off with it. And uh, um, you know, I think it was originally issue. developed for boot bootwear. Originally, it was a bootwear type, which of really thing. drew me in. You know, I, I can you know the the testing and and the the just the attention to detail in, in a a high, you know, performance type weather like that is, is something that, you know, f- I easily seized upon at Filson just because of end use and performance. So when, uh, when he, when Matt came to you and said, Hey, we've got this new thing we've been working on, um, initially it was for boot leather. 
what were your first thoughts? Like, did you think, did you, did you have an idea right away of how you wanted to use it? Or was it like, let me, let me get some samples and play around with it and think yeah, about it? Yeah, it was, it was more of a, a, a sample thing. Let's see what we can do with it. Let's, you know, let's see how it looks as a bag. Let's see it, how it looks as a zipper pouch. You know, we kind of messed around some things and, um, we you don't know, normally I, talk about leather a whole lot until he is something in hand. Right. Okay. So, I mean, of course we are whole country apart and you know once he gets it in hand <laughs> yeah. uh, literally then we can talk about things he'll call Matt what is this tell me about it what's the what's the pros what's the cons and um, and then of course he understands what areas he could use it in what he can expect of it um, knowing you know once I actually send it to him so. yeah I think it's it's extremely important to have the weather in hand you can't really describe I mean you can describe it but it's it's a very tactile experience as well with leather uh, you can just feel the quality there's there's things like the hand of it um, just flexibility, a lot of those kind of details that are super important to have in hand to see to, to really get the full effect of the weather. So the last thing I wanted to ask, what's, what's like the, what goes wrong? What's the worst <laughs> thing that's gone wrong in a tan? Well, we, we've touched on a little bit of things here today. Um, there's so much, uh, there, there's so much <laughs> that we, we haven't touched on, but, uh, you know, we're giving you a, a, a pretty good, a rundown of the generic the sparkly part of story. Yeah. If we, we've condensed <laughs> the it. The sparkly <laughs> story. <laughs> it's a good um, question to ask what, you know, when the you, hard parts are. When you make proprietary leathers and when you make leathers that are custom, like we do for Filston, everything that we make for Filston has their specs in it. Um, when things go wrong, you have a hard time moving stuff that's um, what we consider an odd lot. Um, yeah. So, but, um, un you know, this day and age, if you're going to make a custom color or anything like that, you have to assume the responsibility that if you make a mistake, um, it's our baby to get rid of. And, um, of course, that, that, we, we don't do that often. Now, what goes wrong on his end, he, he can tell you that. So. Yeah, so I think mainly it's been um, just with bringing the operators and the production teams up to speed on how to, you know, produce a leather briefcase or a leather rolling carry-on or, you know, any of the styles that we've introduced. Um, you know, we have... At Filson, we have kind of what we call kind of a limited color palette. So there's a lot of browns, and uh, we use multiple different browns and different qualities and different treatments, as Matt has you know, talked to earlier, that we, we do different things to our, our bridal leathers. Yeah. Um, so sometimes if the sort, the original receipt of the leather isn't sorted the way it's supposed to, you'll have multiple qualities in the same bin. Um, you know, and the operator sometimes don't catch that, and we'll click different pieces for a full MPO of a, of a certain style, and you'll see different leathers on the same bag. Um, I think that that's been a, one of the biggest challenges is kind of getting people to even, as we introduce more of the leather qualities, the same quality but just different colors and different treatments, we need to educate the operators a little bit more. So you'll see some of that out there. Yeah. We, you, uh, Matt, you were saying earlier that like in the old days before the, the tannery was like totally automated, that people would be like dipping these things. Oh, there's still quite a bit of uh, hands-on work. I mean, yeah. it's hard physical labor in some of those areas. Absolutely. Um, you can only, only automate so much. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry, I jumped in. Well, I was just going to ask if anybody ever like falls in oh, to the uh, tanning liquors. Yeah, I mean, the tanning liquors, there's nothing in there that's actually potent. I mean, it's it's pretty messy. Um, <laughs> uh, but, of course, like any industrial setting, I mean, there's, uh, there are big machines or heavy leathers. Um, it takes a little bit of a knack, and you can always tell the new guy in there, even if he's messing with dry leather, it kind of beats you up a little bit because you're trying to throw it one way, and it's it's slinging around and hitting you another way. And uh, um, we, got, we go through a lot of people at times where we're uh, – 
hiring new people. Um, I always say there's well, they put them back in the beam house where we actually do the do herring. And uh, usually if they make it till nine o'clock break, they're, they're they'll stay a week. But a lot of people will uh, the first break time they'll walk out and never come back because really um, yeah it's not like, it's like making French boats. fries. <laughs> it's uh, it can yeah. be it can be quite physical. So yeah, but just you know just to, to speak to that a little bit, I think. The fact that there's so many hands that touch it and so much care and passion and, and attention to detail that goes into this leather is what really attracts me to that leather. Um, I think that's transferred through the product that they supply to us as well as the product that we supply to our consumer base. I think it's a very, um, I like to use this term, visceral connection from, from start to finish that, uh, that just can't be matched. Yeah. What's, the, what's like the next most exciting thing that's going to happen to uh, leather? <laughs> hmm. We have a couple samples. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, so. we've been working on. So at Filson, we love to take our core quality materials, our core quality fabrics, our core quality leathers, and do other treatments to them. So, um, you know, Matt showed me the uh, the milled English bridle, which is basically our you know our hard rigid English mm -hmm. bridle, but it, that's milled that you do a. Uh, it's a actually tumbled. Um, it's a softer piece of leather, and actually we take the, um, the exact type of leather that Philson uses in their belts and their straps and things like that, um, and we've actually um, put it in a, in a if you can imagine a wooden drum, almost like a dryer with no heat, but in supersized, and it just tumbles in there for 24, 48 hours sometimes, and it breaks up the leather, and makes it very soft. It's pretty amazing that. Uh, I mean, especially now that I know that it's not that every cow's color determines a leather's color. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing that like you never wondered where the red ones came. They're from? that versatile. <laughs> I just figured there was. You know, I don't know all the cows that are out there. That's what. That, that's what I know. I know that I don't. Know. I think yeah. you named like three types of cow that I hadn't heard before, and like two trees that I didn't know existed. Yeah. So it's a big world, man. So that's our show. Higher World Works is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Eddie Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And by the way, check out our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. Matt and Jeremy gave some tips about leather care that you'll hear on an upcoming episode. And if you want to read more about leather, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com podcasts. And keep in mind that you can subscribe to the print and digital editions from that website for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsick. Thanks for listening.